0: Good morning and welcome to our program, Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program, and it is our desire at American Heritage to explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. Understanding the history of this great nation is paramount to understanding our greatness. And today we want to welcome as our very special guest, Dave Stahl. Dave, welcome to the program and thanks for coming.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Arch. I appreciate it.
0: Listeners, I had Dave on several months ago, and a little bit of his background, then I'll ask Dave to give us more information. Dave served in the Air Force and Navy. Uh, Dave, I believe it's you just finished your 36th year of teaching. Is that correct?
1: 35th, yeah. Starting 36 next week.
0: And you are totally still sane from teaching for 35 years.
1: Yes. Uh, that. That's debatable.
0: Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) how can anybody be saying do it for 35 years, right? Dave is is a very good friend. Uh, He is also a licensed baseball umpire. He is a true patriot. I consider Dave a a great American, and he has done a lot throughout the years to not only in education, but help to continue to preserve the freedom that we have, and not only teaching it, but passing it on to with other students. So, Dave, would you share a little bit with our listeners about your educational background and a little bit of your history of your family?
1: You bet. Glad to do that. Thank you. From an educational standpoint, I... Have two bachelor's degrees. One is in criminology and the other one is in history. Was a federal law enforcement ranger in the National Park Service for four summers back in the 80s. Have done graduate work at the War College and currently teach U.S. history, U.S. government, economics, and financial literacy at a school called Intech Collegiate Academy here in North Logan, Utah. And from a family standpoint, We've been here about as long as anybody. On my grandmother's side, uh, we came here on the Mayflower. On my mom's side of the family, they were here waiting for him. My, my mom's side of the family was uh, Cherokee, and uh, my dad's side of the family was Scotch Irish. And we got on the wrong side of the English Civil War, so it was either come to America or go to the Tower of London. And uh, so, about you know, in the mid to early 1600s, my family, my The Stahl family, at least my branch of the Stahl family, came to America and settled in Maryland and in Pennsylvania. Um, In fact, one of my relatives was a member of the group under a man named Brady, Samuel Brady, established Fort Ligonier out there in western Pennsylvania, not too far from uh, Pittsburgh. And I have an incredible amount of relatives by the last name of Stahl, S-T-U-L-L, that live there in, in Pennsylvania.
0: And when I, listeners, when I first met Dave, he was teaching in Alaska. And again, if I believe right, Dave, you drove all the way across the country for one of the Freedoms Foundation classes. That's where I first met you.
1: Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yes, it
0: is. And uh, one more thing, listeners, the next year Dave came for another class, which I was not on. And I don't know, Dave, if you remember this or not. I had just bought a GPS for the car. (laughs) and remember yes, we do. were we were looking at that thing and we were amazed at that thing and do you remember that you asked me to if I could to buy you one while you were gone on your class and you could pick it up when you came
1: back you remember that i do remember that yes i do okay so so memory November we got home we got home really late at night and you had left the keys in the car out in your driveway Yep. And uh, I called you the next morning. I think I was over in Indiana or Illinois somewhere. Yep. But yes, I, I do remember that very well. <laughs> and it only seems like two months ago when it was several years it ago. It does. So. Yeah, it really does, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, listeners, Dave has a very, very interesting topic that we discussed several weeks ago about him sharing this. And um, so it's about the Gulf of Tonkin and the Gulf of Tonkin incident and Vietnam and Lyndon Johnson. So, Dave, uh, the floor is yours. So preach away, brother.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll try not to be too uh, redundant here, but uh, to understand the circumstances and the events that led to what is now known as the Gulf of Tonkin incident, we have to go back in time a little bit, back to the year 1954, 10 years prior to the incident taking place, and go to the uh, Geneva Conference of 1954, a conference that was set up to, uh, with the intent to settle outstanding issues following the end of the first Indochina War between France and the North Vietnamese in the Viet Minh at a place called Dien Bien Phu. However, neither the United States nor the state of Vietnam were signatories to that conference. And so as the years progressed, both countries took great license against what those accords had called for. They mandated a temporary ceasefire line, which became the 17th parallel. That separated southern and northern Vietnam, and it was supposed to lead to free elections no later than 1956. It also forbade the political interference of other countries in the area. (laughs) Yeah, a fat chance of that (laughs) happening. The creation of new governments within the stipulated elections and any foreign military presence, including that of the United States. Well, it became pretty obvious that President Eisenhower had no intent of abiding by that nor did President Kennedy. And those would be the two main men that would be running foreign policy in our country up until August of 1964. Obviously, Kennedy had been assassinated the previous November. Lyndon Johnson is now the president, and uh, everything is going to fall into his lap. In 1961, President Diem of South Vietnam was facing incredible opposition. You have to remember that Diem was a Catholic, he had been supported by the French, mainly for that reason. But the large majority of the Vietnamese people were Buddhists. And the Catholics were incredibly oppressive of the Buddhists. And so in March of 1956, Ho Chi Minh, the leader of North Vietnam, approved a tenet measure that was designed to stir up more hate and discontent in the South. And so these uprisings against Diem started uh, in the spring of 1957. By 1959, Ho Chi Minh had approved basically an invasion of South Vietnam. And from 1961 to 1963, there were about 40, they estimate about 40,000 hardcore North Vietnamese Army soldiers had infiltrated into the South and had set up cadre units called the Viet Cong to, uh, you know, to try to disrupt the, the political process. Kennedy had originally supported the policy of sending military advisors to President Diem. But by the time of the late fall of 1963, Kennedy had decided, or apparently he had decided, that the corruption and the ineptitude of the Saigon government was going to prove to be something that the United States had no business continuing with. And so he started to bring back uh, military advisors, most of whom were either Navy SEALs or Army Green Berets, and DM did not react to that very well, which will lead to his assassination. A CIA-sponsored assassination, by the way, on November the 1st of that year, 1963, and three weeks later to the day, Kennedy will be assassinated in Dallas. Johnson became president immediately thereafter and started ordering covert actions to be taken against North Vietnam. The covert actions fell under what to this day is still highly classified, but it was called Operation Plan 34-Alpha. And this was a CIA-sponsored plan in conjunction with what were called the SOTO operations. And the SOTO operations were signal intelligence gathering done by U.S. Navy ships, mainly destroyers, off the coast of North Vietnam. The first incidents of that that we have was we were spying on the Chinese in 1962. Part of which came about as a result of the Cuban Missile Crisis confrontation that uh, Kennedy had been involved with. By 1964, this Alpha 34 plan had been transferred to the Defense Department and it had been conduct- and was under the direct guidance of what became known as MACV SOG, that stood for Military Assistance Command. Vietnam Studies and Operations Group. It basically was the cover organization that was taking out covert operations and would be so up to the end of our involvement in Vietnam in 1975. We secretly, to kind of have a plausible deniability aspect on this, we went to Norway and we (laughs) set up a purchase operation through the CIA. Congress never knew anything about this. They bought uh, a set of fast patrol boats into South Vietnam, with the idea being that they would be uh, manned by the South Vietnamese Navy under the command of American naval personnel who officially were never there. All of this was approved by the commander in chief of the Pacific. His name was Admiral Sharp, and he got his orders directly from the White House. So, this idea that Johnson never knew any of this stuff was going on beforehand is just so much nonsense. We were conducting covert operations, and finally, (laughs) Secretary of Defense McNamara, finally four years after the fact, uh, admitted in testimony before Congress that the U.S. ships that were involved in this uh, had in fact been cooperating with the South Vietnamese attacks against North Vietnam. Uh, One of the things that becomes a critical element here is the international waters standard. Most nations around the world had a 12-mile, nautical mile border, if you will, off of their coasts, including the North Vietnamese. The United States did not recognize that border. We were sending ships uh, well within that. We were actually bombing North Vietnamese facilities on a couple of islands that were about six kilometers off the coast. And we actually had also supported a South Vietnamese covert operation against those islands on the first night of the Tonkin Gulf incident, which will be on August the 2nd of 1964. So that's kind of the background as to what was going on here. And uh, over the course of the next few nights. Couple of weeks, uh, everything is going to escalate to the point to where Johnson is going to go before Congress. He is going to commit what are called in the official testimony and the official analysis uh, done well after the years uh, of this that Johnson had specifically committed lies of omission. He knew what had happened. He knew what had not happened, and yet he felt he had to escalate the war, take a strong stand against communism which in large part, I believe, was driven by the Republican candidate for president in 64, Barry Goldwater. And if you remember Goldwater's speech at the convention, you know, he basically had said, you know, elect me president and I'll bomb him back to the Stone Age. (laughs) Uh, And so Johnson had to appear, at least in his eyes, He had to do whatever was necessary to appear to be strong on against communism because we're not that far removed here in this point in time from the McCarthyism era that had you know saw communists behind every tree and under every uh, you know desk, Mm -hmm. uh, both in the White House and in the State Department and you know uh, probably your local golf club professional as well. I mean, it was it was really that bad. So Johnson, having been the Senate Majority Leader in the 1950s took very strongly to heart the accusations that the United States had intentionally lost China, which is a, another can of worms that we could get into at some time. But obviously, Southeast Asia, especially after the passage of NSC Document 68, which becomes known as the domino theory, he, he couldn't afford to appear weak. So he was going to do whatever it took to, uh, to get you know permission to spread the war out uh, even further to escalate it. Let me stop here right now. and just ask if you have any questions so far on this. That that's uh, kind of the background aspect.
0: Would you, Dave, share with our listeners where uh, the Gulf of Tonkin is, if you can, just visually? So,
1: yeah, off the southern coast of China, and it's part of the South China Sea. Is off the coast of North Vietnam, and where you get that big looping curve where on the southern coast of China, uh, that the waters of that to the south of China and to the east and northeast of north vietnam that is the gulf of tonkin which by the way is being constantly built up by the chinese navy as we speak it's kind of interesting that this has come full circle it seems like in the last 60 years
0: and the uss maddox that was our ship that president johnson claimed that was severely attacked was that inside of uh, uh, international borders or outside? You said that
1: 12-mile barrier. We were well. Uh, the Maddox and mm-hmm. the Turner Joy are the two destroyers involved. On the night of August 2nd, the, the Maddox was performing the SOTO missions, the Signals Intelligence uh, Collection. And it was approached by three North Vietnamese torpedo boats. The Maddox fired a warning shots across the bow and the North Vietnamese boats attacked with torpedoes and machine gun fire. One U.S. aircraft, I believe it was an A-4 attack plane, had been launched from the Ticonderoga, one of the U.S. carriers in the Tonkin Gulf. That plane was damaged by fire from the torpedo boats. Three North Vietnamese torpedo boats were damaged, Uh, four North Vietnamese sailors were killed, six more were wounded. And in its patrol report, the Maddox indicated that we were unscathed except for a single bullet hole from a Vietnamese machine gun round. So that, you know, that attack actually did take place. However, two nights later, on the 4th of August, the Turner Joy joined the Maddox on another intelligence gathering mission. But that night, the ships opened fire on radar Hmm. and sonar returns that had been preceded by communication intercepts, which U.S. forces, namely the National Security Agency, claimed meant in a North Vietnamese attack was imminent. Uh, Captain John Herrick was the commander of the Maddox Task Force. He reported that the ships were being attacked by these North Vietnamese boats, when in fact, there were no North Vietnamese boats present. Absolutely none. Mm. Uh, while Herrick reported doubts afterwards, you know, the heat of the moment comes up, you know, you go to battle stations and, you know, pretty soon everybody's on, you know, about as high alert as you're going to be able to get them. Uh, It's amazing the tricks that your mind can play on you when you're looking for something that may or may not be there. Mm -hmm. Shortly after this incident, Herrick sent a report to McNamara, Secretary of Defense McNamara, and he stated that his initial perception of the attack left grave doubts of concern that that it had ever happened. That's his wording. Um, And here's a name that you're going to love. Uh, The national security agent on duty that night in Washington, D.C., happened to be a man by the name of Daniel Ellsberg. (laughs) (laughs) And Ellsberg reported this report from Herrick to McNamara, McNamara apparently never gave it to Johnson, and he never gave it to Admiral Sharp, who was Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Fleet. And so Johnson is going on, you know, the evidence that he wants to have created. Finally, in 2003, fast forwarding a little bit, there was a documentary made called The Fog of War. Mm -hmm. And Robert McNamara admitted on that documentary, that the attack on the Maddox on the 2nd had, in fact, occurred, but that the August 4th attack, which Washington authorized retaliation for, never happened. Never happened. Uh, In 1995, McNamara had met with the former North Vietnamese general, Nguyen Giap, to ask him what had happened on August 4th, 1964. Giap's reply was, absolutely nothing. Uh, he claimed that the attack had been imaginary. And in 2005, an internal NSA study was declassified. It concluded that the Maddox had, in fact, engaged on the 2nd, but that the incident on the 4th against the Turner Joy was, quote, based on bad naval intelligence and misrepresentations of North Vietnamese communications, unquote. In other words, that's kind of what we call in the Navy a CYA, Mm -hmm. cover your head in, and (laughs) you you give it whatever you need to. The result of that, Johnson then goes before Congress. Congress issues what becomes known as the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, and in that resolution, Arch, they basically gave Johnson a blank Mm -hmm. check. It granted him the authority to, quote, assist any Southeast Asian country whose government was considered to be jeopardized by, quote, communist aggression. The resolution served as Johnson's legal justification for deploying U.S. conventional forces to South Vietnam and the commencement of open warfare against North Vietnam. David, Um, in your opinion,
0: or do you believe that Lyndon Johnson was actually getting uh, bad intel, or was he just looking for something? to be able to to, to militarily strike Vietnam?
1: I think it's a combination of both of those. Um, You know, there's there's lies of commission and then there's lies of omission. And I Mm -hmm. think he was getting a lot of lies of omission. Johnson wanted a war. He was in an election year against Barry Goldwater. He needed something strong enough to make the country appear to the country to make him appear to be a strong, forceful leader. Because if you look at the first, basically the first 10 months of uh, Johnson's career as president, you know, you can count on one hand the number of things that you could look at and go, wow, that, you know, we're glad this guy's here. Yeah. And so he had, let me look at my notes here just for a second. Um, this is in regards to what Daniel Ellsberg uh, had to say. Uh, he was on duty the night of August fourth. He was receiving or, or messages from the Maddox. Um, the Maddox was under orders not to approach closer than eight miles from North Vietnam's coast and four miles from Hannu Island. Now, Hon New Island is that island, one of the islands. it's just right out in the in the Gulf, or off the coast. Um, on the night of the fourth, Um, a South Vietnamese covert raid was being conducted against Han Nu. And that made the North Vietnamese, with the Maddox being there and the Turner Joy being there, uh, and firing in, that made it appear that they were actually supporting uh, this covert raid. Mm. Um, And so uh, it's almost kind of like the perfect storm uh in terms of of coincidental things that are taking place, uh, some of which were manufactured, some of which were directed by our intelligence gathering people. Um, you know when, and I'm a firm believer that you know we have had a number of times in our nation's history since the second world war, uh, where the CIA has given information to a president, Um, to suit their purposes and not Mm -hmm. the purposes of a nation. Um, And (laughs) I I firmly believe that this is one of those. Uh, Excuse me for interrupting you.
0: We're just about up to the time on on this program. This is fascinating. But could you quickly – we're going to pick up on our next program, listeners. David, could you quickly, before we close out, share with our listeners, please – they probably are not aware of Daniel Ellsberg, who he is and what significance he played during the Nixon years.
1: Daniel Ellsberg wrote a book called The Pentagon Papers. Uh, which was ended up being a Supreme Court case. And the US government, uh, under Richard Nixon, I believe it was, had gone after Ellsberg and Ellsberg was seen a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ellsberg probably suffered from PTSD, quite frankly. And so they went after him. They manufactured uh, evidence, medical uh, evidence that would cost him his job as well as to throw doubts, Uh, As to his reliability on the book on the Pentagon Papers, which basically set out in absolute detail by detail account that for all intents and purposes, the reason for the war even being done by the United States was all based on lies. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And obviously, you know, Johnson wasn't around anymore by that point in time, but Nixon was certainly there. And you know, you had a situation of uh, you know, we got to get this guy, and if he won't shut up, uh, we'll shut him up. Shut him up. So,
0: well, Dave, thank you. I mean, this is fascinating information that you're giving to us. So we we want to thank you for it, and listeners, want to pick up on our next program with Dave and, and continuing to learn about the Gulf of Tonkin and Vietnam and Danielsburg and and. Lyndon Johnson and uh, all his people that he had around him. So, David, thank you for coming and sharing with us very enlightening, very enlightening about the the early tragic years of, of the Vietnam
1: conflict. Thank you for
0: sharing with us, Dave.
1: Thank you for having me. Look forward to it.
0: Our pleasure. Thank you. This is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty.